1: what's up guys and welcome back to beyond the void
2: horror podcast Woo! <laughs>
1: <laughs> so guys it's December and uh, <laughs> well we know that a lot of people either a celebrate or don't celebrate yeah. um, some of us celebrate Christmas and I I feel like there's a lot more Christmas horror involved in horror than other other religions I guess it's just—I think it's just because it's like it's more, more popular, wildly, I guess, widely celebrated. I don't know, but we wanted to do some holiday movies. Uh, we're probably going to do a few here for this couple of weeks. I don't know how we're going to spread it out. We're going to try to do some things. We got some interviews in play, possibly. So, you guys want to stick around for that? Um, but, yeah, today we're going to be doing an interview, actually, guys.
2: Yeah, we're so excited.
1: Yeah, it's been a while. I know you guys, I didn't know, you know, I don't know why it took so long. I think it was just a lot of extra work, but I've been hankering a- for an interview. And me and Kyle, the Laughing Horror Podcast, have been talking about things behind the scene. In fact, he actually did a review of the movie Red Christmas for the website and a written review that he did since this week we're going to be talking about red christmas and we're also going to be talking about rare exports we figured why not i hit up the director of red christmas and see if he's available to possibly do an interview and well he wrote back and he seems like a really super fucking cool guy. So Yay. we're really honored to have him on. So we're going to be doing the interview today. And it'll probably just be me.
2: Fuck my life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, Brady. It's fine.
2: I'm so sad. He's in Australia. So it's Australia time. And they got to coordinate it with his schedule.
1: Yeah. it's. But you know what? I'm just, we're really happy to have him on. So, you guys are going to want to stick around for that. If you haven't seen Red Christmas, I highly urge you to go check it out. Uh, he is the director. Craig Anderson is the director. He's also an established actor, actually, for a lot of TV shows and uh, other uh, stuff, too. So, we're going to be talking about all that stuff today. So, stick around. I had a rough day today. We've been having weird nightmares, we've been talking about. Yes. So, we don't know what that's about. And we don't want to go and just jump to, oh, it was Zach
2: Baggins fucking shit. We brought back a fucking demon. Right. That's what it's about. <laughs>
1: and I didn't share this with you guys. Thanks, bro. Yeah. we. Uh, I was in the studio the other day, and I posted this on my personal uh, page for Facebook. But I didn't share it with uh, the, class. <laughs> um, <laughs> the class. I share it with everybody, everyone that's listening. Some of you may know about it because you saw the video. But I was sitting in my studio, and all of a sudden I started hearing... Like, glass breaking. And I was like, what the fuck? And it just kept going for like 10 minutes. or not like 10 minutes. 10 seconds. <laughs> Jesus Christ. If I heard that for 10, se- 10 minutes, I would be like, oh
2: my god! I'd my,
1: jump I, out my window or something. I
2: would be like, I own that much glass? Right?
1: <laughs> what the fuck? But yeah, I was like, what the fuck is going on? And maybe I'll post it in the video or whatever, like I'll, or in the, uh, on our website or something like that in the episode so that you guys can check it out. But there's, I walk into the kitchen, I literally just recorded right as soon as I heard it. I was just like, all right, some weird shit's happening. So I'll go out in the kitchen, we got tile floor, we got marble counters, and there's just nothing but like, like clear glass. Like, pottery, like, fucking, pottery. I don't know, ceramic bowls that are smashed, our coffee cups. Every single one of our fucking nice fucking cups for fucking whiskey and everything else is just completely just smashed all over the kitchen. And I'm like, okay. And I look, and the shelf busted. Like, the, the two little pegs that hold the shelf up fell. Now... Some people would be like, oh, well, they just got, you know, old and tired and they both broke at the same exact time because things like that happen. The odds of that happening, the the odds of that happening are one in six billion.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly credible. Yeah,
1: it's like winning the lottery. Um, No,
2: something spiritual is a fact.
1: I know, I don't know, but there's (laughs) not that much weight on that shelf. Like, we have like, I don't know, maybe like eight or 10 fucking glasses on there. I wouldn't consider that like heavy weight. Like would you?
2: Depends on how heavy each individual glass is. Eh. But, I mean, I'm I mean, not to getting into the physics behind it because I don't math.
1: But it just seems weird that it's they not that much. You got two pegs on each side of the shelf, right? Right. Both of them happen to break at the same time, and the whole shelf comes down. On both
2: shot both sides.
1: No, like or not both
2: pegs on like one there's side.
1: two pegs on the left and two pegs on the right. Right. Both pegs on the right snapped. Mm. So either there had to be some severe weight.
2: Like more weight on one side. Yeah,
1: like you would have to evenly distribute weight very hard and very quickly in order to snap both of those. And somehow they just popped and all the glasses just fell on the counter.
2: I think it's a demon. Yeah, that's what, that's what Christina doesn't want to hear. <laughs> I think you're fucked. <laughs> Sorry. So,
1: so guys, I posted this video up. And then Christina immediately jumped to, like, demons and everything oh, yeah. else. Like, And I kind of did, too, at first. But I was like, okay, the pegs broke. But then when I, I thought about it, I was like, there's no way those two pegs could break at the same time. Like, what would they deteriorate at the
2: same time? Like, miraculously? Yeah. Like, simultaneously? Like
1: I could see one breaking and then the shelf
2: tipping. And Yeah, but both... Both simul- were broken. Yeah, I don't know.
1: That's really weird. Anyway. I don't know
2: about that. I still think we need an exorcism.
1: So Christina thought it would be a good idea while she was out at the dollar store. To buy a rosary,
2: <laughs> she bought a rosary at the she, dollar store. Yeah, that's what I think. They it was sell $1. rosaries at the dollar store. I don't know where she got it, it was but it was excellent.
1: Yeah, it was like a rosary. So she I got the rosaries. rosary and was like, and put it in. Like we have these little hooks for all of our like cup yeah, they measures. Scare
2: the fuck out of me every time I open that cabinet. Yeah,
1: it's like the little you know. Like I want to get a half a cup of sugar, <laughs> and I put it in here. Well, she's got the rosary <laughs> beads hanging on one of those, and it's like. <laughs> sorry i just think it's funny yeah, like
2: to she, the sugar. <laughs> she
1: totally did it as a joke but she was like fuck it no you know? but she's
2: serious she probably I don't is think she did it as a joke i think like she made it come across like a joke but i think she's serious
1: yeah well we ever
2: since we got demon. back
1: well we've had shit happen in this house before but ever since we got back shit's been going weird we
2: brought a Dybbuk back
1: yeah we God. fucking mocked the dibbuk. Fucking
2: di- we did not mock it. We were very respectful.
1: Uh, no. You said, "Uh, oh, fuck that." I'm not donating any fucking money. I did not
2: say that. That was those other motherfuckers that said that.
1: Oh yeah. I, I wonder if that. those guys are alive. They're
2: <laughs> probably fucking dead, as they should be. <laughs> what What you They're been being up, up to, though? Disrespecting motherfuckers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what are you up to? Like, what have you been doing?
2: I had the flu. That was super great flu's the fucking worst it's
1: a wonderful thing
2: yeah it's, it's awesome it happened the day after thanksgiving I got it's like winning the lottery sick as fuck and i was like yay i haven't had this in a while fucking lip <laughs> flu it was great as you um, stare
1: at the wall hello darkness mild. my old
2: friend yeah i had like a, at one point i had a 104.8 degree fever jesus that was great i was that's like
1: delirious hallucinating yeah.
2: it was awesome I, this is what I imagine being on shrooms or like acid feels like, but oh, yeah. I don't do anything. Do you know so. what I
1: compare it to? I don't know if any of you who are listening have ever had this happen. Please tell me. But have you ever had uh, a fever dream?
2: Oh, yeah. All the time. Right. Every time I get sick.
1: Have you ever had a dream where you're not sick necessarily, but you can't tell if you're awake or yes. asleep? Yeah. And it's like you're... Things, it's like that. That's yes. what it feels like.
2: I dream lucidly like that all the time. Yeah.
1: Like you it think things are in the room or something. Yeah. And like you can't, you don't move. Like yeah. I think that's just sleep paralysis well, and I never knew it.
2: Yeah. I have sleep, I have sleep paralysis. So that's always super fun but it's crazy Um, it's like your
1: mind starts to rationalize really irrational things
2: yeah it's the craziest shit so that's like but I'm a super 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 lucid dreamer anyway so like that's and I'm very vivid with everything and everything's super visceral and like it's very realistic
1: yeah
2: um so that's why I hate when I have super crazy dreams like that because I can't separate that it's not reality.
1: Well, lucid would be that you can control the reality of your dream. Right. Yeah. I used to do that a lot, but I don't do it as much so, anymore. Yeah. I
2: mean, it's it kind of like in... What's it called? The stupid fucking movie. The Tokens and shit. What? Inception. Oh. That's like lucid dream. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, But I, I used to always have this like crazy... Anytime I would be sick and I would have to take NyQuil.
1: Oh, well, that's their problem right there.
2: I still have this recurrent zombie fucking night terror i pick up where i leave off every single time and it doesn't matter how many years have been in between it's the craziest fucking shit ever. Like, I've been writing it down
1: for... F- oh, it's like a reoccurring. Oh, yeah.
2: No, I literally... Those are
1: the scariest ones. I literally
2: pick up where I left off in the last... I've it was, done that, too. Even if it was two years ago, I will pick up where I left off in that dream. And right, that's you'll, like, buffer dreaming.
1: the from where you left off a little bit, mm-hmm. though? Like, you'll repeat something, no. and then it'll go into Mm-mm. it?
2: I wake up right in that... Or I start dreaming right in that moment where hmm. I left off or where I woke up the last time. Doesn't matter how long it's been, and it's the craziest shit. I've been writing it down for fucking years. Hmm. Um, But it's super fucking bizarre and like maybe one day i'll be like i'm gonna turn this into something because it's literally been years of me writing this shit down and it's fucking crazy but i don't know i started i like i started writing about it actually like the like the first dream that i had i actually wrote about it once and i put it on the notes thing on facebook because it was a post that i made on like myspace when myspace was still a thing and then i transferred it to the notes Thing on Facebook, and I have to see if it's still there. But it's it's saved on my computer somewhere. Well, but now it's really like good.
1: it's making me think like, what if like each of these dreams is leading you up to your death?
2: I'm still alive, like, but that's so just but in my I dreams, know. But so I mean, I hope so. it's, that's just
1: the creative side, you know, like me thinking about that kind of thing.
2: That would be crazy.
1: But the reason I say that is because like, would not it be interesting if somebody had a dream and they were just like documenting? like they would know their future somehow it's and probably
2: what's gonna happen to me right so thanks like, now, well now know?
1: and it reminds me of that dear David thing that I was telling you about I hope
2: my next fever dream I win the fucking lottery <laughs> that's all I gotta say because it'll be dope <laughs> and then I'm gonna come and hit you because you're gonna be right and I'm to win the lottery and then you're gonna give me money and then I will maybe give you like ten dollars and then uh, what like the fuck? some Taco
1: Bell <laughs> what a fucking rip
2: hey ten dollars is better than no dollars <laughs> depends on how much I win, I'll probably give you more than that
1: I would give you something if if you mentioned something like that i would be like ten dollars be like here's ten k
2: if I okay. That's fine. If I win upwards of like five million dollars, fuck
1: yeah, I'll give you ten k. I'll That'd give you ten k. Yeah.
2: I promise that, pinky swear to you. All right, this let's moment. do it. P- Ow, I stabbed you with she my nail. She owes me
1: ten k when she wins the lottery. <laughs> when guys. I win
2: the lottery of more than five million, million. even if you hate me,
1: it's a pinky swear. Yes,
2: no, it's a pinky swear. <laughs> Don't do anything to make me hate you because I will shit on your fucking ten <laughs> k before I give it to you.
1: By the way, guys, <laughs> I want to make a quick uh, mention. Now you're fine. Uh,
2: <laughs> I will shit on your ten k. <laughs>
1: I will shit in it, and I will have diarrhea on your 10K, <laughs>
2: Over your 10K. and I'll put it,
1: I'll shit in a bag, and, and I will hand it, it to and you. And you will
2: get pink eye, and it'll be great.
1: Dude, 10K, I'll wash that shit off you, all easily.
2: I'm going to pluck and like it. Like, whatever. That'll be a plagued 10K. Anyways, continue. Uh, all right, you're making me sick now. <laughs>
1: guys by the way just so you know we are gonna fucking i I reached out to somebody you guys may have heard of this person and this individual that talks about this ghost called dear david now i don't know that they're gonna hit me back but i reached out to them and i said you know hey we do kind of a funny podcast but we do like to talk about like ghost stories and things like that and we really get into it and we do take it seriously um well, you know. we you do. <laughs> well, Sorry. we do take it seriously. No, we do now. We, we yeah. really We're... take interest into it because <laughs> shit's been happening. We
2: got a demon. We take it seriously. <laughs> yeah,
1: no shit. Yeah. So I wrote him and I was like, hey, you know, if you ever want to come on and do an interview, I'd really like to tell your story. And I know all our listeners, which I know our listeners would love to hear that shit. So hopefully, fingers crossed, they hit us up, or he hits us up in particular. He's not real fond of like media and like a lot of the ghost shows have hit him up. And oh, sure. they won't he won't he sure. said he doesn't want to sensationalize it I'm sure it.
2: Zach's been knocking on his door well,
1: I, I bet yeah I well, would I'd I'd be, if I was a ghost it. show fuck
2: yeah I'd bet you 10k on that
1: but anyway guys I think we've talked a lot here so I uh, hope you're still with us <laughs> 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 but I think it might be that time Brittany
2: it's fucking time horse shot.
1: All right, guys. So we're going to be dropping some hot horror shots right now (laughs) to jingle your fucking Fucking balls. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) we're making this shit up off the top. That was
2: really good. (laughs) We said it exactly the same.
1: Anyway, (laughs) so you guys, uh, we're going to be doing two movies on Thursday, as I already mentioned. We're going to be, they're going to be Christmas themed. Um, One of them is going to be Red Christmas, and the other one is going to be
2: Rare Exports.
1: So we're going to be doing these two movies, and we figured, well, the Red Christmas kind of had a cool, um, they were just drinking eggnog with whiskey in it, I think, or some sort of drink in it.
2: No, it was like a sparkly champagne-y thing. Is that what it was? Yeah. Well, because they kept trying to hand out eggnog,
1: eggnog, and he was like, oh, that's okay.
2: Yeah, it's not eggnog that they're drinking in the little crystal glasses, because it's too clear.
1: But they do have eggnog in it. So I wanted to try to theme it around one of the movies. If you have already seen Red Christmas, then you'll probably know what this is an ode to, but uh, (sighs) one of the... Uh, characters in the movie is named Cletus, Cletus. and he's a very special <laughs> that was so a proper. friend uh, but I, I started thinking about it I was like in the movie there's like a fetus it's about a fetus that you know It's a long story that comes back to find his mom and they named him Cletus. So I'm like Cletus the fetus. Like it has to be like (laughs) that is the reason that they named him that
2: for specifically. And
1: hopefully I get to ask Craig Anderson because I need to know.
2: Oh, we're asking that question. Yeah.
1: So I got to (laughs) ask. So Cletus the fetus is what this shot is called. And what is involved is one part birthday cake because it was a birthday boy. And then one part, eggnog, because it was in the movie. <laughs> and then to make sure that the birthday boy gets covered in his blood, <laughs> his and mother's then, blood.
2: Yeah, explain this, what it is.
1: We're using strawberry syrup, like this. the kind that you, like the just liquid kind.
2: Yeah, this is to represent a failed abortion. There you go. Bum,
1: bum, bum. So a Cletus, the fetus. We're going to stir it? Yeah, we can stir it.
2: Yeah, let's do it. So that's strawberry flavored goop.
1: Now, if you want to get really fancy with this, you don't have to do this. Yes, you do. But it's really probably pretty good if you put some a little bit of whip, just like a tiny dollop of whipped cream on top.
2: Just a dollop. Bloop. Oh, that was cute. I'm trying to make it a little red. <laughs> the science behind this is incredible. Okay. I just want you guys to know. There you go. Thank you. It looks like strawberry milk. Gross. Yeah, I'm curious what it's going
1: to taste like. There's
2: a little bit of syrup on the end, and I'm going to lick it. Oh, that's good. Actually. is it a little syrup yeah it's not bad Mary,
1: angel. you're gonna want to stir it really well guys
2: yeah for, for,
1: you may for even well. want to put this in a mixer first blend it and blend the shit out of it just like shake it all right to cletus
2: the fetus <laughs> cletus the fetus Pink oh cheers man, strawberry syrup on my cup i'm to eat it Aw. cheers <laughs> cheers I love eggnog.
1: It's pretty good, actually.
2: It's the best. It's
1: super sweet.
2: God, I'm fucking sticky. I'm always sticky. I
1: don't want to know why.
2: Every fucking time.
1: (laughs) But guys, if you would love to put some Cletus fetus on your lips and mouth and and throat, all you have to do is just go to longlivethevoid.com and check out our hashtag horror shots now.
2: If you want a little Cletus the fetus inside you.
1: (laughs) Or out of you. Or
2: out of you. (laughs) Whatever your preference is.
1: (laughs) But that's it for Horror Shots.
2: Horror Shots!
1: So now, prepare yourselves for an interview with director, writer, producer, and actor Craig Anderson, known for Double the Fist and Red Christmas. We're going to do that right now. Hey guys, today we have actor, writer, producer, and director Craig Anderson from Australia with us. He's produced, written, directed, and acted in many TV shows and documentaries like Double the Fists, Me So Hungry, Office Correctness, and his newest holiday horror edition called Red Christmas, a feature film. Welcome to Beyond the Void Horror Podcast, Craig. How are you
3: today? I am very well. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you so much for coming on, man. Appreciate
3: it. Uh, very excited.
1: You did this in such short notice, so I, I do want to thank you so much for that.
3: Oh, not a problem. I'm, yeah, I'm pumped. I mean, it is <laughs> 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning in <laughs> Australia. It's very exciting. I'm sitting in a weed hotel lobby. Um, but uh, hopefully I won't be killed by anyone because it kind of looks like the Shining Hotel. <laughs> That's why. <laughs>
1: well, you seem pretty comfortable with... Uh, there's a couple questions I have about your comfort in public and stuff because uh, <laughs> I don't know how uh, comfortable I would be at a lobby. So kudos to you on that. Thank
3: you, thank you. Well, uh, much like the shining, no one is here. <laughs> so right, it's, uh, it's not it's not bad just uh, at the moment. I'm <laughs> terrified a busload of tourists will arrive, but we'll deal with that if that happens.
1: You'll have to sign a lot of autographs at that point, probably, right? <laughs>
3: Occasionally, yeah. Uh, You know, I'm not mega famous in Australia, but every now and then someone has seen something I'm in and uh, wants a selfie, which is much easier now than autographs. Right. (laughs) Selfies, yeah. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to sign.
1: Picture's worth a thousand words, so. Unless they Photoshop (laughs) you in, because that's just weird.
3: (laughs) Oh, I hung out with some uh, autograph hunters in L.A., and nowadays they'll hand over to a celebrity a blank piece of paper. A, a, like a white photo that's got nothing printed on it and say, will you sign this? But if it's um, sometimes uh, if it's a woman who's done um, like swim shop models or, or, or nudes, they'll go, no, because I can't guarantee that you won't print a nude photo on that and then have me sign that. Right. So it's, a, it's an interesting new world that we live in. <laughs> where People can Photoshop around your signature. People yeah. are pretty tech savvy these days. Yeah. <laughs> Just follow
1: a couple YouTube videos
3: you're good. <laughs> well, that's how my lighting guy did the lighting for Red Christmas. Really? <laughs> yeah. He's a VFX visual effects guy who I've worked with for 20 years. And I said, "Do you want to try doing some lighting?" And he went, "Yeah." So he got he had one book called like How to Light for Movies, <laughs> and then he, the rest he learned from YouTube and ordered a few lights and he did all right, I think. It's, you know, it, we went for a very basic look, but he did a lot of it from YouTube.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's actually, I have a question about that, too, because some of the lighting in it was really cool, actually. <laughs> I do want to kind of start off with some of your beginnings a little bit, because you have kind of an interesting catalog of different things that you do, and it's kind of interesting to know that you're really big into comedy, and I've noticed that you got a lot of hands in just pretty much creating anything you do writing producing like i think you've even done music like for- <laughs> <It's true. laughs> i don't know how mild of a credit that is but it's in there yeah
3: well i'm not you know it is fairly mild that was for a, a small short film that was like a mockumentary about um uh it sounds funny it, it was meant to be a comedy it is a comedy but it's about incest um <laughs> between a brother and sister and they're talking about they're, they're, you know it's two character actors in Australia playing Scottish people but we needed some sort of music for the current affair documentary style background you know where it's just sort of twinkling slow chords being played so right. it was not in any way good composition it was just some notes playing twinkling under the background while they talked about so you're not going to start a band want. or anything <laughs> no, no not at all I'm not <laughs> one of those people who can do everything I just played some twinkling music. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, what do you think some of this passion arises from? Like, like originally, like why, why do you think you've gone in the directions that you have with so many different things?
3: I, um, always wanted to work in film or television and in Australia, it's a pretty small industry and there's enough because it is small. We still make a lot of television and that means there's employment in television. So I just moved from college straight into making as much as I could short films and got noticed and got to make some television. But it was the kind of thing, and it, and maybe it is a specific thing to do with comedy where the easiest way to work this out is to just grab the, the camera and do it yourself and muck around with your friends. And then your, one of your friends knows how to use an edit system. And then everyone just pitches in and tries to do stuff together to get the idea out. And that's kind of how we just, we just kept doing that for like 10 years and eventually started getting work in different, I don't know, departments. Um, you know, sometimes nice. someone thinks you're a director, sometimes an entire network thinks you're just an editor, so you just keep going there to do editing. It's, it's kind of like just, uh, yeah, I guess at the end of the day, it's desperation is what <laughs> has made me just want to do everything and, and say yes. And then luckily, not do it badly enough that i wouldn't get more work so yeah really wanting to make stuff and if if this in australia if we made horror films if we made 10 horror films a year i'm sure i'd be working in horror all the time but unfortunately we don't and we mostly do comedy and you know normal reality television so i've ended up working in comedy which is by far much more exciting than reality or you know
1: well, you do kind of that reality TV sort of thing, but in a mockumentary sense, so that there's a lot of dry humor, and uh, it's a large part of what you've – a catalog of what you've done. Is that just you in general? Are you just a very dry sense of humor kind of person?
3: Uh, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> um, yeah, Nothing against it, of course. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that would be extremely uh... – bizarre to be so angry if i yeah not like in dry senses of humor um but it is yes it's it's i am funny in as much as working with people is fun and and communicating in comedy uh, and if you've seen red christmas uh, you know i often think of it as a comedy and a lot of people are like uh, what the hell are you talking about and uh, it's just a horror film but for me it's like no nah, Everything about it is funny, and even when I was shooting it, I was laughing a lot. And everyone actually who acts in it is is a a, a, an Australian comic, Uh, either a stand up or a a comic actor who does a lot of comic television. So, uh, but I I don't know, people don't necessarily. It really does have like
1: a kind of a weird, uh, I guess, dichotomy about it because it's got like two different, very different parts mixing together, which is kind of what's interesting
3: to me about it. Right, yeah. I mean, the the first draft I did was very much like Basket Case, or It's Alive, or um, even killing thanks, Day, you know. Right, like we just watched that, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> For Thanksgiving, of course. And um, they made that on
1: $3,500.
3: I know, and not that you can tell. <laughs> no, that's yeah. not fair. I mean, it it is what it is. It's meant to be a schlocky shot on video comedy, you know? And then the third one is off the chain because they, (laughs) they did that thing where they didn't do a second one. But I, I similarly, the first draft I did was very much going, well, how do you make this stupid story about a fetus that kills its family? And it became like one of those scripts, which is very clearly a comic horror film. Do you know what I mean? It's over the top stupid. The fetus would be a puppet, you know, um but then I started to try other drafts because it didn't yeah, you know, I just wanted it to be a little bit better or different to that <laughs> and ended up with what I have now, which but it's, in my mind it's still very much a comedy and is about a family who communicate by joking around and arguing and that's meant to be funny with funny characters.
1: Well let yeah. me ask you this. Have you ever seen the movie The Suckling?
3: No. <laughs> no, I read about it though, I haven't okay. seen it. Kind of similar in a way. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah, a little
1: bit, but it's not, it's more of, it it leans a little more trauma, I think.
3: Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to tell this story without (laughs) going into that space of stupid over the top. This is such a dumb idea. There's only one way to do it. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be good to try and make it a bit more, less dumb and more, I don't know. Considered, maybe
1: no, absolutely, uh, it's a very yeah. big trapeze act. Act, I could say.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting too, just as it travels around the world and people see it. Who it, it kind of helps point out people's sensibilities. Right. For some people, they're angry that it's boring straight away, and that you know it's not atmospheric and horrifying in the beginning. And other people are like, "Well, once you set up this drama thing, why do you do?" Kills that are full of over the top splattered elements, like that shouldn't be right, you know. And and it is. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> so I, I take all of them on board. But then at the same time, you get defer you know differing opinions on, and it helps point out people's tastes almost, like where it tastes like. But it's great when you meet someone who goes, "Oh no, that's I can dig that. I'm okay with a fairly dramatic telling of that, you know, subject matter that then features some." That big over-the-top kills.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the whole story is essentially about, I mean, you know, for those of you are, that are listening that don't want anything spoiled, you may <laughs> want to earmuffs at this point, but essentially it's about abortion and, mm-hmm. you know, how this aborted fetus survives and comes back to find his mom. And... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <Sorry. laughs> now I've heard a couple of stories as to where you got this from, but I'd love to hear it. I'm sure our listeners would too.
3: I I was sitting around with my comic friends, and we were just brainstorming dumb ideas. Like I always thought that in today's modern filmmaking world, we have an oversupply of movies um, and not not enough time to watch them. So it's kind of the dumbest or loudest or stupidest ideas that will stand out. And I thought there is no stupider idea than a a slasher film about an aborted fetus that (laughs) comes after its own family. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how I ended up with this idea and then writing the first draft. And then after reading the first draft, I went, oh my God, this is incredibly (sighs) not in line with, my opinions on, on abortion <laughs> in as much as it felt like uh, it was an attack on women and choice and stuff. So I then did a lot of reading and started workshopping the film with um, a midwife and, and other women to say, how do I make this less uh, <laughs> assaultive and less like a bizarre Christian misogynist film and more considered? And that, that's what I've ended up with.
1: Wow, that's pretty interesting because like the, uh, the idea of, you know, it coming back to meet its family and then being rejected yet again from the (laughs) ultimate rejection.
3: It's so sad. It really kind of,
1: it's like teeters on, on like, where is the like moral of that? (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> like, well, it's it's interesting that the second rejection, which is for me, is the only reason that he kills the family. It's got nothing to do with the fact that you know he was aborted, right? <laughs> the, it was came from when IDB used to have message boards, and uh, one of my favourite films is The Family Stone, which is like a polite comedy with Sarah Jessica Parker and Diane Keaton and you know Dylan McDermott, and it, it's just a it's just a friendly Christmas film um about family dramas but uh, on on IMDb I remember reading messages from I assume teenage Americans boys who are upset that the family who are very liberal and um left-leaning kick out Sarah Jessica Parker's character who's very conservative and say we would never do this on Christmas day in our household because you know we're good Christians and you don't kick someone out on Christmas day And I thought, that's an awesome, you know, like, first of all, why are you angry (laughs) kid on the Internet? Just relax. It's only a movie. But it it was also exciting to think, yeah, that is like a code. And I had a similar experience at Christmas with my family where my dad, who's a church-going person, brought someone home on Christmas Day. And this person was just the worst kind of human. (laughs) you know, the kind of person who's alone on Christmas day for a reason. Um, but my dad brought him to the the table and we had this guy for like three or four hours and he hated his wife because she divorced him. And he he just sat there spewing hate the entire (laughs) Christmas lunch. It was horrible, but we sat through it, you know, nice uh,
1: case of indigestion there.
3: huh? (laughs) (laughs) We just kept dropping hints for this guy to leave. Um, but he didn't. And that's kind of, for me, the the sin in the movie, the horror film in Red Christmas is that the family kick out a dude on Christmas Day and then that person comes back for revenge for That's that. That's
1: so crazy that that was one of the inspirations. But, I, you know, I got to <laughs> say one of my favorite lines in that movie is when the brother, the the uncle, he comes yes. into the kitchen and he's like, hey, thanks for bringing Satan into the <laughs>
3: Well, I mean, for those of you who haven't seen it, I, I don't think this is spoiling anything because in, in, in Red Christmas, the bad guy doesn't just, you know, kick in a window and stab someone. He brings the doorbell and says, hey, you know, kind of, I'm looking for my mother and they think he's nuts. So they say, come on in then. And he ends up sitting down around the Christmas tree and chatting with everyone for like, 10 minutes of screen time. So I, I kind of wrote that scene because I went, this is ridiculous. And even D. Wallace who acts in it said, this is a really weird scene to let him into the house. Let's work out. I love out. it though. Cause you it's know.
1: like, so it's kind of like tense and like, what would you do in that situation? Like,
3: <laughs> yeah. And in my mind, have, she's a, she's a woman who's had a kid with an intellectual disability. So she's used to weird things happening. And if a guy in a cloak rocks up and he's coughing and he's weird, and he's kind of, you can tell he's not working right. He, a good a good person lets them into the house. And that's how he ends up sitting around um, chatting to them for 10 minutes on Christmas Day. <laughs> Trying to like,
1: read his well-thought-out letter.
3: Yeah, yeah, that he's been writing for 20 years um, uh, to the family. And the family don't understand why he's reading it to them because he hasn't explained that he's who he is yet, you know. Yeah. So that's part of the comedy as well, I guess, because I think that is a a really funny and stupid way to deal with, you know, the arrival of the villain who's normally meant to start killing everyone.
1: Right. Now, now, here's the question that I have for you, is that, first of all, because of the topic, which is Mm. about abortion, whether it go more conservative or liberal, have have a lot of people been upset about this topic?
3: (laughs) I've only had one comment on... One person, okay, in regards to reviews, <laughs> it goes 50-50, and it kind of reflects people's opinions. Right. Some people will go, this is a pro, pro-life film. And I kind of think they're justified in doing that because one of the things with uh, anti-choice is that when you say, when you make the fetus into a human being, then following that logic you are saying you are committing murder, and therefore we have to do everything we can to stop people committing murder. You know, right. whether that's killing doctors or blowing up a clinic or protesting. So, if you, if I turn that fetus that is in discussion in reproductive rights, the clump of cells, into a full-grown human being who chats to you, then all of a sudden, no matter what, this is a pro-life statement. This movie, and that's kind of what I had to. When I was trying to write new drafts of it, was work out ways to fight that, um, the, karmic, that the karmic, no matter uh, what, it is a pro-life statement. Yeah, and yeah. and even um, just working with D and uh, D Wallace in turning it into something where she has choice, but it's taken away from her. And I don't want to explain the film. Um, well, I, I can explain. This is the first thing that happens: the clinic she's having an abortion, it blows up and the right-wing guy who blew up the clinic steals the fetus <laughs> and raises it. So in a way, that is her choice taken away by someone, you know, a man who wants to take away choices and then raises it, and then the exact thing she's always been scared of comes back and destroys her family because she didn't have that choice. Right. And, you know, that that's how I justify <laughs> in my head and how D and a lot of the cast worked through it so we were going right as long as we're not making the worst form of propaganda <laughs> imaginable and at the same time i also made sure that there was a priest who was gay so that it, you couldn't show this in sunday school to support your case do you know what i mean right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
1: I did, no, that's, that's really funny
3: <laughs> yeah because yeah, there's that I mean, moment like- where he
1: goes in the closet
3: and then like yeah <laughs> Starts jerking off after watching guys' ass. Yeah. (laughs) So I just thought, you know, as long as there's something in there that they couldn't show someone and explain that this is a good piece of Christian propaganda, (laughs) because they'd have to explain why the minister's jerking off in the closet after looking at a man's ass.
1: (laughs) Sunday morning TV. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which this is very far from what I would expect that to be on, but (laughs) something. Something I really am curious about, I mean, and th- and not to put you on the spot or anything like that, but... Go for it. I mean, you've written, like, the web series. You did the offic- uh, office correctness, uh showing mm-hmm. what you would do in an office work environment, which then, I would assume, spawned on How to Not Behave uh, TV uh, yeah, show. Yeah. And then, you know, it seems like, in a way, because even in, like, with the um, Double the Fist... Like, it seems yes. like political correctness is kind of like a very interesting subject for you, and that it's either A, you're trying to poke fun at it or have at least a somewhat of a conversation about it socially. Is that, am I on the mark yeah. there? Or?
3: Well, you know, social graces and rules of how to operate as a human being is just the basic thing that comedy deals with, you know, whether it's observational comedy, someone like Seinfeld who just points out what's the deal with this and how does that, you know, and that's fun. Or whether it is people who are maybe pushing boundaries and going, is this polite to say, is it it wrong to think this? And, you know, more crazy, hardcore comedians. And then there's the people like Bill Hicks who may be a comedian who's pushing hard to say, here's my point of view and I think everything else is bad and I'm going to fight hard to keep pushing my point of view, no matter how politically incorrect it is. Right. Um, I'm not necessarily anyone who, someone who thinks that... I do think monitoring our language is a good thing, <laughs> um, which is the definition of, I guess, political correctness. Because um, right. I do think, hey, man, if someone wants to that is their pronoun just what do you care if you have to change the way you speak you know it's not they're not asking for a hundred dollars just do it you know so in my head that makes sense and i enjoy that stuff but i also know it causes friction in society and that friction and that conflict for me is funny and i think that's what comedy is meant to do is deal with that and social graces and the way you say things is nice and comedy deals with that but i also think that the way comedy works is sort of the way horror works, but horror deals with things that you can't process as easily. It's not as easy to make a joke about misogyny or something, but it is okay to make a horror film about a man who kills women and then a woman, you know, who becomes an avenging angel and starts killing men because that is how the brain needs to process it. it's like there's a point where jokes aren't appropriate and now it's time for horror to step in and start dealing with something that it's hard to talk about
1: right like kind of what justifies the murder like oh this well socially this is acceptable kind yeah. of thing yeah
3: yeah yeah absolutely. yeah absolutely yeah in this much as that's not so much a thing you want to do a stand-up routine about you <laughs> know but uh maybe doing a horror film that's very moody and atmospheric and kind of deals with it in a dreamlike state well, that's totally acceptable. That's what horror films always do.
1: Well, and speaking of that, that, and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, Is some of the dichotomy in the movie, because there's a lot of dark mm-hmm. humor that's tucked into this movie that either you're a sicko like me who just enjoys <laughs> the damn thing to pieces because yes. of it, or you're mm-hmm. kind of appalled by it, but in the same respect, you're driven to it because the tension that you build all the way up to the end is pretty it's pretty interesting. Like I haven't seen a movie that can balance that kind of thing. So it's kind of conflicting, I think for some people who watch it, but
3: mm-hmm. um, well, I think we're, we, you and I are aligned in that the way we process the world is very similar. Maybe. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, I think that people who like the film have a very similar sense of humor or do realize the world is a bit messed up and well. will approach it in the same way as I do and I like those people who like the film (laughs) whereas people who have different ways of looking at the world will often hate the film because it's like how can you make why are you making jokes about this why is this why is this family so dumb or why is it so serious but then there's so many bloody murders this is not right this is a bad way to deal with you know the angry people (laughs) you know (laughs) angry yeah well, I don't know, you know if that's answering your question, but no, yes. Well,
1: I mean, I don't know if I even really technically asked you, but I think you got my oh, point. Right. I mean, I, I feel like when I first, when I'm introduced to the family in the movie, they are like dysfunctionally functional, which is mm-hmm. essentially what all of our families really are if you think about what they're thinking out loud, in a way. Yes. Yes. So. That's-
3: Absolutely right.
1: Um, <laughs> it just feels like that's a normal family to me in a way, but they're willing to accept each other so extremely that they'll accept all these like crazy side banter that they have between each other and all the different, the, the, di- well, I don't want to say dichotomy, but the, like just the differences like the priest that comes in, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's fun and that's family stuff of dealing with each other's problems. And in my mind, and this is a really weird thing to say, but, <laughs> I'm going to say it. It's almost as if they proceed, Christmas proceeds as normal, and all that family stuff, everyone has little arguments and jabs at each other, and then the subject of abortion comes up. And it's a thought that is so over the top and weird for family to deal with that the movie changes into a dreamlike state. So, <laughs> and uh, now I'm going to sound like a psychopath, but in my mind, <laughs> Cletus could possibly – Cletus is the name of the bad guy – could possibly not even exist. And what it is, it's the subject of abortion that enters the house and enters the family discussion. Yeah, and basically everyone has the argument in the second half of the film, which is a horror film full of murders, could be just everyone arguing out their point and then leaving the Christmas tree, the table, and going home to bed You know, because they're done with their discussion on, on that subject. Wow, you just and, blew my mind with that. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I mean, that's not what happens in the horror movie and people just start getting murdered. But in my mind, that's also part. That's how I wrote it in that the discussion continues, but it can't be done in a, you know, sitting around family chat way. It has to be done in a moving into a dreamlike state way because it's very hard for everyone to process that subject.
1: Right. Yeah. Speaking of which, you mentioned Cletus, which is the yes. name of the main of the son who was aborted. Now yes. I recognize a similarity here. We got Fetus and Cletus. <laughs> I'm 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 fairly That's certain true. that you chose that for that reason,
3: right? exactly that I mean it's a it's a hangover from the first draft where it was like a ridiculous you know over-the-top film and Cletus the fetus was a you know a rhyming joke name for the bad guy and right up until the last um, day the first day of shooting I had changed it because I wanted to be all sophisticated and clever and had like Regal or something it's a biblical reference to an angel who is an avenging angel and I thought oh that makes more sense but then someone said, come on, man, <laughs> what about Freddy and Jason and Michael and Leatherface? They've got names that stick out, you know? They've got just real simple, they're not wanky names. And I thought, oh, okay, fair enough, and went back to Cletus. And it's it's interesting, half of the people who watch it make that leap between Cletus and the rhyming slang for, you know, fetus.
1: Yeah, because you don't so, outright say it. He does. I think no. they do say it once, something about a fetus, but that's it.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they. Um, no one in the film, you know, makes that point. It's just something that people in reviews or people who like the film will often say, Cletus the fetus." Uh, yes. Nice. As a, um,
1: well, yeah. I'm glad we made our drink for you, by the way.
3: <laughs> oh, I love this drink. This is so cool.
1: You want to know the ingredients? I didn't even tell yes. you.
3: Okay. I know. So, so we
1: took uh, eggnog.
3: Because uh, oh, we figured that was awesome.
1: perfect for this the situation. Very appropriate. We did mm-hmm. birthday cake because, you know, birthday. <laughs> it was Cletus's uh-huh. birthday when he was born.
3: Oh, that's right, yes.
1: <laughs> and then we took strawberry syrup over top oh. of uh, a, doll- a dollop of um, whipped cream.
3: That is so cool. <laughs> I love that. I, lo- I can see it in my head now. Just, yeah.
1: It actually that's doesn't so taste too bad, to be honest with you. So we, we make some so crazy good. shots here. but
3: <laughs> what do you, When you say birthday cake, is that a liqueur that I don't know? It's what a is vodka. Birthday? My apologies. I don't know if I said oh. that. Yeah. Birthday cake no, vodka. I no, I, I was imagining maybe you had a piece of a birthday cake in your shot somehow. <laughs> that, oh, <laughs> no, man, that would great. be a lot of stirring. <laughs> yeah, and very hard to shoot. <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: Well, let me ask oh, you this. I, I got a, a couple other questions. I mean, this movie, to me, like, I, I watched it, and at first, I, it was a little bit of a struggle in the beginning. I was like, I, I still like this. Mm-hmm. I was like, the acting's actually not so bad at all. Like, I'm, I'm into <laughs> this. Like, I can get into the mythos. Even as ridiculous as the story sort of is, I'm, mm. I'm enthralled by this story a little bit. So I kept watching, and... Um, I kind of I I have a feeling that you're somewhat of a horror fan I and mean, this was kind of like your way of like kind of letting out. Are you a
3: horror fan? Oh, 100%. I mean, I grew up with horror and my parents did an excellent thing they enforced the um government sense classification law. Yeah, it's big so they out wouldn't there. let me watch most horror films. But so what I did was I spent all my time in libraries reading about horror films. And by the time I finally got to watch them, not many of them scared me because I knew everything about the film. So I'm a massive horror nerd, um, and there's a lot of references in the movie. In fact, the whole idea that it's called Red Christmas is a nod to um, Black Christmas from right. 1974. You know, it's a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, it's like the proto slasher of, um, and even my, uh, uh, John Carpenter knew Bob Clark, the director, Canadian, right. and. They, they were talking about Halloween as a, one of the films in a sequence of, or a series of seasonal horror films, Black Christmas being one, then Halloween, and then Carpenter took that idea and developed it into Halloween in the future. But, you know, it, it really did inspire a lot of that genre.
1: Absolutely. And, I think it was one of the first slasher movies, if I'm not Yeah, wrong. absolutely.
3: It, and it does everything that a slasher film does. You know, it's set in a big college dorm with a bad guy in the house but what it does do as well is it deals with the subject of abortion whereas you know there aren't many horror films that do that and Olivia Hussey's character in the film wants an abortion she tells her boyfriend who's a pianist studying at the college and he gets all weird and aggro and then the whole idea of the film is you're not sure if it's the pianist the boyfriend going crazy killing the other girls or if it's the weird guy who lives in the attic (laughs) (laughs) And um, even at the end, they try and do that, you know, little thing of, well, that's the bad guy. We've got the bad guy. But then you realize there's the thing in the attic still.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's um, Black Christmas, you know. And I thought that would be a cool thing to see a woman who is a a teenager at the other end of her life, uh, you know. And in this case, I've got Dee, who's in, in her 60s. Dealing with the same subject in a very slasher style, but it's you know it's like basically Diane Keaton type role in a Nora Ephron movie. Now having to deal with that slasher stuff.
1: Nice, yeah. No, that's a that's a great uh, that's a great choice actually. I um, I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, I know we kind of talked in the in the pre-show banter a little bit about this, but do you have a, a particular favorite film, maybe that you? that you're uh, that's horror related that you're you're into like maybe one of your favorite top 2 or something
3: oh man <laughs> that is such a yeah i know uh, trust me to a horror fan I you don't want to abandon any of your favorites right no of course not and i don't want to give i'm trying to think of films that aren't even horror films that could be considered horror films hey. maybe even like um dogtooth you know the guy who made the killing of sacred deer the greek director um, made a great movie called Dog Tooth, I don't which think in I've my actually mind seen that. Is, it's it's kind of like a horror film. It's his second film, and it's all shot on a 50mm lens. And it's just a family who live in a bit of a compound, but the the three children who are now um, young adults have been raised by the parents to believe weird things, and it's kind of like they've done a social experiment on these kids to teach them the wrong word for certain things or really weird concepts and you know it deals with incest and stuff because these people are insular and have the kids have been lied to their whole lives by the parents and it's fantastic you know and it's not considered a horror film it's considered a weird indie drama but for me when i think of horror i think of that and certain things like funny games by michael Ah, Haneke, you know like that it kind of isn't a horror film, but at the same time, it is, and I kind of like those types of films. In in response to me not having to pick one of my actual horror films, um, <laughs> but when I because I grew up reading about so many, when I saw any slasher, any Freddy, Michael, Jason, I wasn't that worried or scared by them. But the two films that really scared me when I moved into watching them was Night of the Living Dead, um, nineteen you know sixty eight, one, okay. and and The Exorcist were the two films that actually did still scared me as I was growing up, uh, you know, in my early 20s, starting to watch horror movies.
1: Nice. Okay. <laughs> so I, I take so. it that you've evolved into more of a, you like a psychological sort of uh, horror.
3: Yeah, I, I do like that. I mean, I totally love movies like Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night Two, <laughs>
0: Right, um, yeah.
3: The, the Japanese film Houseu ha- Houseu, um, yeah. You know, I love it. I love and Suspiria. Any film that also goes into a carnivalesque state of, you know, for me, they're almost like clown shows. They're like comic. They're, the, the essence of carnival is to go up topsy-durvy world and everything goes nuts. And I love those types of films as well. Where it so, doesn't
1: always necessarily just explain everything and that you're that's just waiting right, yeah, for the then, ride.
3: Exactly. And I think Red Christmas is kind of my p- combination of a uh, psychological horror. With, you know, psych- what well, psychological drama that turns into a carnival film.
1: Well, and that's interesting that you bring up Suspiria because one of the things I admired in the movie is the color palette that you use. And <laughs> is that a little bit, I mean, did you push uh, your friend towards that direction <laughs> there?
0: Or?
3: Oh, yeah, my, yeah. my friend uh, who's learned on YouTube how to do lights. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <sighs> we even had a code word, you know, on set we go, what is this lighting state? Is it the blackout state? Or is it Suspiria? And we'd go Suspiria. Nice. But the the idea of it, we know, you know, Giallo is a, is a thing and that is a – luckily a very – it's an okay thing to do. People like nods to that genre of, of filmmaking. But it was inspired by, for me, a cartoon, a Disney cartoon from the 50s called Pluto's Christmas Tree oh. where <laughs> – um, Mickey cuts down a Christmas tree with uh, the chipmunks in it and he brings it into the house, dresses it, puts the lights on, and then it goes internal into the Christmas tree where you, you see Chip and Dale, or it's just two chipmunks at that point, hanging out in different branches. But every time they go to a different branch, there's a different light bulb causing a different color.
0: Right, and okay.
3: A, that stuck with me when I was a kid uh, and I saw I wanted when. Things go bad in the ha- the film. The whole second half. Every room of the house is like a different branch of that Christmas tree from that cartoon. In that it's a different color state, and that's that's where the idea came from. And then of course we all went, oh, so it looks like Giallo. And I went, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that works. Yeah. All right, let's let's call it Giallo. I um, love that can't lighting, keep man. To Disney Christmas tree, yeah,
1: I loved it. Oh, great. I, I, just the just the the whole Christmas backdrop, essentially. You know what I mean and it was yes. kind of dark in some scenes and you had some uh you even had some like shots from the barrel of the shotgun
3: mhm which yes. were
1: really interesting i like that you had so a lot of low shots
3: too i noticed like pointing up yeah i'm not sure why <laughs> maybe it's kind of like innocence or childhood you know looking up at things oh okay yeah yeah and there's i don't know there's a whole bunch of feet in the movie as well which I don't know if I know what the answer to that is. Um, <laughs> but the, the idea is that it feels like morgue, like a toe tag. So, you know, you, right. you always see those scenes in movies. They open the door, they pull out this, you know, the thing and there's feet there. And so I always like that. But also, and this is horrible, but there is a particular one of the, because I ended up watching a lot of abortions as well, but whilst writing it and oh, man. one of the, Things that stuck with me was uh, a certain process where the feet are grabbed, and you know, it's interesting. Oh, wow, <laughs> and I was like, Fuck. And yeah, the research
1: on, the on that had to be kind of uh,
3: oh, <laughs> extraneous. It, it was what my favorite film to watch on, on reproductive rights is Tony Kay, who made American History X and who's kind of a loose cannon inside of Hollywood. Okay, he made a film called Lake of Fire, which is two and a half hour black and white. And what he does is he's, he looks at both all sides of the debate and points out how it's, you know, that you can't really necessarily pick. Like you could meet the biggest left-leaning intellectual who seems to defend underdogs, you know, all the time, but who then also goes, yeah, well, the fetus isn't an underdog. Or uh, so we don't need to protect it. And and feminists, you know, who go, no, this is a woman's choice. But and repro- you know, access to medical care makes total sense. But then at the same time go, but I don't know if I know where the cutoff line is. And then even in that film, there's Noam Chomsky, the philosopher guy, mm-hmm. saying, so basically, it's in the future we can take specks of um, dust of human skin and get the DNA code out of it and create a human being. So therefore, do we not shed dry skin because that is a potential person, all the way to the people that think that your brain isn't Uh, uh, developed a personality until you're three years old. So Noam Chomsky says something like, so somewhere between a speck of dust (laughs) and a three-year-old, wherever you want to draw the line as to what you shouldn't be allowed to kill, that wow. is the um. That's what the whole debate is about, and I think that's kind of true. That all sides are just arguing over this line. You know, like the Catholic Church for years said, "Don't use a condom because it's not, big, you know, it's denying the reproductive process that God wants you to have." So right. That, and you, to think about that, if you throw away a condom, you're, you're throwing in away a life. mortal scene, You know, and that's yeah. bizarre. So I found that very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure why I'm telling you. This, no, it's really uh,
1: fascinating, though. I but, mean, I you know, definitely oh, want the, to watch the, this
3: the research. Yeah, the research is you know interesting. So that was a very good film. But in doing research, I watched tons of films about um, the fight of women to not have that health care taken away from them because that's all it is, just a, a process. And in Australia, we're lucky. It's the kind of thing that can happen in a hospital. So a midwife. Can go. All right. I've been monitoring your baby, and it's no longer viable. Um, it's it's not good for you. So let's get it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's sad. Smart it's horrifying. difference it's, here. Yeah. Know, yeah. Whereas over there, we, in your country, it's a massive debate usually had by men. You know, in 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 Senate and and in government, and it's so weird.
1: Which for is me, funny too, because in even this some of the women. Yeah, some of the women on the mm. right, uh, who are conservative. Yeah. Are against men saying what they can do with it as well, so it's it's kind of this weird back and forth and, that and, they have. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And and just so I just did a lot of research, but it did involve watching a lot of films, like over a hundred documentaries on the subject. And the ones that are all like my personal opinions are very much yeah. Everyone should have access to healthcare and their own decisions. And if you want to let them know that you think that there's a point where you shouldn't kill something, or you know. That, that they shouldn't have that health care, that's kind of messed up, right? That, um, taking away health care, but because, uh, and also, I'm, I'm a big communist because I live in Australia, you know, <laughs> where we have free health care. It's just part of being a citizen that you are allowed to live. go into the emergency ward of uh, the hospital, and they'll take care of you because they think that's a good thing to do for the people in your country, right? So, you know, we have a very different upbringing, and for a lot of the world, the debate isn't as strong, but you know, places like Ireland or Russia and, and your, your country, it is still a massive thing. And that's the the film deals with that through that kind of knowledge of in America. It's a big thing.
1: Right. Yeah. And actually yeah. i I'd, I'd heard some a little bit about like Dee Wallace and how you had even mentioned it earlier about mm. how she had some, Reservations about certain aspects of the movie, and then you you wanted to kind of like calm her fears about that a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about
3: that? Oh yeah, sure. She read the script, and I'd gotten the script to a bunch of women in their sixties who had done horror films, and they all were keen on it. It was it was very flattering. And Dee is an amazing actress. If you've seen Cujo, you would have to agree that she's an excellent actor. And I just was so excited that Dee wanted to do it. So I had a Skype call with her, and she had one note. She was okay with the abortion stuff, which is always the most horrifying thing to have to tell people what the story's about (laughs) and go, you're sick, leave me alone. You know. But fortunately, most of my cast and crew were okay with it, because I had to make sure the crew was okay with it. Because imagine working on a film that turns out to be a big propaganda film. And you didn't even know, you know, that would make you feel horrible. So I told all the crew what the film was about and made sure they were cool. And with Dee, she was okay with the the content because she was on board with it. And she told me a personal story that wasn't so much about abortion, but just that, you know, when she was pregnant with it, she she was late to pregnancy in her life. And she, she, uh, she was asked, do you want to know, should we check, you know, on the viability of it, she said, "No, I don't want to know because I don't want to have to make that choice. I just want to go through with having this baby as it is." Um, fortunately, you know, for Dee, everything was fine, and it's a great woman. <laughs> Her daughter, actor, actually Gabrielle Stone, who was Dee used to be married to Mister Stone from right. um, Howling and Cujo. But the one thing that Dee did have a sticking point with, or not a sticking point, she just said, "Here's something you should consider." At that point in the script, the youngest girl was like an eight-year-old, but I turned it into an 18-year-old when I made the movie. And it's because of Dee who said, You at the moment you want to kill this eight-year-old in the movie. And she said, you should be aware that I think horror audiences aren't going to like that. And then she told me the story of working on Kuja, where she was on set all the time and Stephen King would come to visit. And she said to him, I don't think, that this kid should die, that i spent the entire film fighting off this rabid dog, Danny in the backseat. I don't think that the kid should die, and I think we should change the ending. Imagine being insane enough to say that to Stephen King. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. like. And Stephen went, um, okay, that's interesting. And then fortunately the director agreed with Dee, and they let the kid live. And then um, Stephen King saw it, and he went, okay, you were right and that was for a long time his favorite film adaptation of any of his films right um, yeah. and and he says it's because the kid survives and he gets mail still to this day where people are upset that he kills the kid in the story in, in when the he book, wrote it. yeah yeah in the book so it, when it became what D suggested and what D fought for and so once you have an actor like Dee Wallace tell you something and tell you she was able to change Stephen King's mind you kind of go all right I'm ready to hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah, and, I don't blame you yeah, at all. <laughs> I'm gonna trust you on this. <laughs> you seem to know what you're talking about. You've worked with, you know, Peter Jackson and Wes Craven and everyone, you know, Steven Spielberg. I'm gonna go with what you're saying. Yeah,
1: I think you <laughs> and, might have a a tidbit of knowledge there. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and that was it. After I changed that and said, All right, let me you know, and I did genuinely I considered it for like a couple of weeks and spoke to some academics and said hey, what's the story with killing kids on screen? How does that work? And does it offend the audience? And they went, yeah, most of the time. Unless it's a very big plot point, like in Hitchcock's Sabotage or um, one, another horror academic went, look at, uh, who is it? Um, Crystal Plumage, the bird with the Yes. Plumage, uh, I think, the, or is it the duckling one? Don't the, torture. Oh, it's oh, one oh the
1: them. duckling, yes, it was definitely yeah, the duckling.
3: Yeah, where a kid died. Don't torture go, a duckling. Don't torture a duckling, until she goes, that is just everyone refers to that as the one where the kid dies, even right. though it's a great film independent of that. And she said, if you kill a kid in your film this early on as the first thing that happened. That's the only thing people will remember. And then I said, yeah, right. Because I want them to remember her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'll leave the kid killing for another movie and just focus on abortion. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so I agreed with D and after that she was on board and it was excellent to have D so supportive. And it kind of gave me confidence that, uh, I'm not insane and I'm not making some weird propaganda film. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> By the way, her end scene, um, and earmuffs for those that haven't seen the movie a little bit, because mm-hmm. I have got to ask this. That end scene is one of the craziest chain of events that happen in a death scene. And I literally, no joke, stood up and was like cheering. Because I was just, it it kind of, I'm serious, it like, it kind of caught me off guard. And I was like, oh my God. And that's where all the elation and everything that I had for the movie, it just, I don't know, that whole chain of events that happened. We don't have to describe it necessarily. Yes. But, I mean, were you conscious of that and you wanted to have this like punch to the face, like right on the way out?
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) You know, and and to have her. Yeah, I can't describe it, but to have that aliens, the film aliens moment, so to speak. Okay. Um, you know, Sigourney coming to fighting on and not, you know, relinquishing um, as she does. And, and that awesome moment in the the power lifter, get away from her, you bitch. You know, I love right, that yeah. <laughs> idea and that powerful line delivery. So having Dee do something like that was, you know, very exciting.
1: Interesting.
0: Okay, and
3: I can't. I can't talk much more without you know. Without it away, ruining
1: yeah. it, yeah. And I don't yeah, want to ruin it because, yeah. man, that is like one of my like. That's when I was like, okay, I'm on board now, like a hundred percent.
3: Luckily, in the last minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it was I good up
1: until that. I was just, I think, what I was having trouble with in the beginning was just the the balance between should I be laughing at this mm. or should I be this is really tense, like, like, it was, it was a weird emotional, um, battle that I was having with inside of me, and then when that happened, it just solidified everything, and it was like, it was like almost an awakening moment, I was like,
3: yes! (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic, that's an excellent, I'm glad you've told me, that's a good way to watch it, (laughs) um, yeah, yeah.
1: That's a, immediately, literally within a minute or two, I was like, I'm going to find him on Twitter. I'm going to write him. and He's got to come on the show because I got to figure this oh, out. Oh,
3: fantastic. That's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad people who don't see it, people who decide that they shouldn't laugh at it from, at it from the beginning, they're not going to enjoy it. I don't think. Right. It's too, it's too bright and family oriented at the beginning and. <laughs> then in that world, start killing people. It just becomes, all right, screw you. I'm not watching this. But if you start to go, okay, I can see why well, that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. The priest is doing something that you shouldn't do when you're a priest. This is like, I'm laughing at it. And, you know, if you're on board for that and you sort of see the humor, in it, then I think you'll be okay with the film by the end. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and and one of the more interesting things while I was doing the research for this movie is that that you have a documentary called – horror movie, a low budget, that's running in film festivals, like, right as we speak. Yes. And, and it looks amazing. And it, is this kind of helped reach a bigger audience for Red Christmas a little bit? Or?
3: <laughs> it, it it premiered at Fright Fest in the UK, um, their Halloween thing last month, this documentary. And uh, one of the reviews was... It's weird that a film that no one really spe- – you know, that such a small film would have a documentary about it, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of sums it up. The documentary is not as out there as – like uh, in, in prevalent in the world as my horror film is, Red Christmas. Right. But um, the documentary was funded by um, the, one of our major networks, and, and it's a two-one-hour thing that's been turned into a feature film as well. And they had, you know, triple the budget – of what I had and they had cash budget. Are you serious? Yeah. To document me doing what I did. And it was made by a very good friend who made some other things where I'd been to Hollywood and there was a whole series about me and other actors trying to make it in Hollywood. And, um, he's, he's an excellent filmmaker who does observational stuff. And it's a very fun documentary because everyone who works on the film is kind of a comedy person. So, we all see the bright side of life, so to speak, and making an <laughs> independent horror film with s- such a crazy idea behind it is hard work. And, right. you know, we had no money and we had to work out how to do everything. So it's a fascinating documentary. And it, it, everyone who sees the documentary becomes extremely sympathetic to the horror film, which is kind of not the point of it, because I always tell young kids when I mentor them for comedy stuff, you're not allowed to go around with a pamphlet explaining why your show's no good. You just have to make a good show. You can't say, we didn't have money. You can't say, yeah, but the actor was sick that day. Like, if you don't make a good film, no one cares. But ironically, now I have a film that explains why my film's a bit dodgy. (laughs) 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 A a two-hour document that says, this is why it is what it is. Immediately,
1: um, when I'm thinking about you being recorded while you're making your film, Mm-hmm. I think about like there's some tense scenes even in the trailer where it's like kind of heart wrenching. You're like, oh, is this even going to get made? Yeah, and I'm thinking to myself like, how had that been like to make a movie while actually shooting a documentary in the background? <laughs> but then I was like, well, he's also an actor, so maybe he's okay this. a little bit with this.
3: Yeah, I'm. I and I've done enough of these weird they're old school observational documentaries where a friend or a man follows me with a camera and asks me questions while I'm trying to do stuff and I'm stressed. And so I'm okay with that. I've gotten used to it. And so making the horror film and having that happen wasn't too stressful for me. Um, I Yeah. <laughs> and, and as a comedy type person who laughs a lot, you know, Pretty much if I'm laughing, it means I'm, I've am i got a problem. <laughs> in as much as, you know, he's filming me and I'm smiling as he's asking questions, and it's kind of showing my discomfort because I'm smiling through it, and it's obviously something I don't want to talk about, or I've got something else to do. And that, that happens a lot in the document. There's a lot of laughter in it.
1: That's good. Yeah, that, that's yeah. awesome. I mean, that seems to be kind of a running theme with you, though, right? You know, trying to keep the the humor in it, right? <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, I think humor is an excellent way to process the world, you know. And I, I should, uh, when I was at college, I ended up doing a, a PhD on comedy and what comedy is and what laughter is, and became like a massive nerd for, for in my early twenties, uh, all about humor and laughter. And I think it's really important, and it's a, a, an interesting phenomenon that we even laugh, and that laughter can be created by. You know, a loud bang. People laugh at, which is totally different from a, a work of art by Blake Edwards. You know, that <laughs> yeah. they're two like a loud bang on a street or erotic tickling. You know, there's many reasons why people laugh, and sometimes it's not to do with great comedy. It's to do with discomfort, and I, I just find that interesting because horror deals with the same sort of stuff. It's true, yeah. Things that make you uncomfortable. Things that are hard to talk about.
1: Yeah, there is kind of a weird uh, connection there, huh? Like kind of in the same school of thought, I guess, or
3: feeling. Yeah, I often think that, you know, it's that thing of dealing with stuff that's hard to talk about and ending up in laughing about it or screaming. And the two films where, you know, two genres where you can actually see if the films are working are horror and comedy. Because if it's a laughter in a cinema, you go, oh, yeah, that's working. And if it's a horror film, people are jumping and screaming and sometimes laughing, and you go, oh, yeah, that sounds working. No other genres really work on that. Or well, maybe, maybe pornography is, is the only other genre that works in that way. <laughs> but everything else, they'll just sit there and stare at the screen blankly. You've got no idea if the audience is in there. <laughs> Except, of course, with pornography. Yeah. I
0: can't help but laugh. That's
3: hilarious.
1: Well, probably even more so back in like the 70s and 80s when they were like trying to take it seriously a little bit, right? Where they had to lead the story
3: up and the story was absolutely horrendous. (laughs) But it was great, you know, and the the perfect, the beautiful thing about those is they were shot well. Right. Yeah, it was like a movie, really. Yeah, and and it kind of, they were, in a way, they were more. aware of themselves because you had to employ a lot of people to make that film. You had to have four women there doing makeup. Whereas nowadays that's just not necessary. And I think it's all gone downhill, that genre because people can shoot it on video and that's okay. And it involves hiring a model and going to some crappy bedroom somewhere. Whereas in, in the, in the seventies and that was the people had to work on it like a real movie, and everything was considered and much, much better. I think.
1: And think about how I many people I actually got their start from that too, as well back in the day.
3: Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how people.
1: many, but there are a few.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, what's what's Stallone? the woman who ran for president? Oh, oh. sorry, Tracy Lords, or um, yeah,
1: Tracy Lords. I think you might be right.
3: Yeah, and then there was another one. Um, yeah, I love I love that. <laughs> yeah, and Stallone, of course.
1: Yeah, he's one of the bigger ones, I think.
3: Yeah, who moved on, who broke free of that genre.
1: <laughs> Knowing that the documentary's out, I mean, have you been going to showings of this, or and and when is it going to be released uh, to the public for the you know mass viewing uh, the, as well? Yeah,
3: for the documentary. I mean, he's just now doing, but well, of course, in the documentary, it explores how hard it is to get a horror film into the world because there are a 1,000 horror films made last year worldwide. In the year 2000, there were 200. Now, uh, mathematically, the world hasn't gotten that much bigger. The audience for horror hasn't grown that much. Right. Um, you know, like by, what is that, times five? Do you know what I mean? Maybe it's grown by 20, 10%, but not by 500%. So there is an oversupply of, of horror films in the world now. And it's a, it's great, but we also have to compete with every horror film from history because they're so easily to get now on digital platforms. You can watch Halloween or I can mention, uh, Nosferatu and you can go and find it on YouTube. Like in the past, in the, you know, nineties, you made a film. There was only one way to see it either on video or at the cinema. And if a yeah, new horror film came out, everyone went to the cinema. That's not happening anymore. So just making a horror movie and having it you know people see it is an uphill battle like it's not just how hard was it making that movie so the second half of the documentary this a good 40 half an hour on this documentary about well i went to fantasia i had a good premiere everybody liked it i got some okay reviews but what do i do now and it's horrifying it's like well i don't know why isn't the Bloomhouse company coming to me with a briefcase of money, you know? (laughs) And, and it's, there are reasons it's because films need to be marketable and the, it's not about the quality of the film or the writing. It's all about what elements of your film can be marketed to the mainstream so that people see it. Right. And I'm lucky I've got a Christmas theme and I've got Dee Wallace in it. So, you know, people are excited that she's in it and doing press about that and then they mention my film so all those things I got lucky that I have them in the film and that they are marketable elements but there, I saw so many great films at festivals last year that will never come out that no one will ever see purely because they don't have those marketable things in them and right. so Gary's the documentary about me it does, it looks at that which is great but um, he's also having the same trouble w- well it's not about Francis Ford Coppola making a movie. It's about a guy no one's heard about making movies. So why do we need to put this out in America? Why do we? Why wouldn't on? You know, so he's having a lot of trouble working out. Well, what do I do with this documentary? How do I get people to watch it? Um, but I'll tell you, if you know how to use proxy servers, <laughs> and um, you're listening there. Use a proxy server to log in as an Australian onto an Australian website, and we have an something called the ABC, which is like your ABC, um, and it's on there for free at the moment. The two hours really? you could watch it. Yeah, so if you just if your computer appears to look like it's an Australian computer, um, on, you know, on an Australian network ge- geographically, then it will allow you to watch the whole documentary series on on ABC Australia. Wow! If you just type in ABC Australia horror movie, you will find it.
1: And I'm I'm starting. I also know that um, the movie itself, uh, Red Christmas, is actually in Redbox right now. Um, Yes, just came out on Redbox, obviously for the holiday season. Um, One of my friends I suggested the movie to. He went and found it there too. So it's like out for most all Redbox right.
3: Yeah, it's it's in any red box you want to go. To. You can get red Christmas. it Blows my mind. Um, it's also <laughs> I, it's also coming out on Netflix, December eleventh in oh, the US. Nice. Yeah, so it will be. I'm sure my Twitter feed will be full of angry people from that day on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what I'm curious about, yeah. Maybe we should do yeah. a touch base, like, on two two years from now and see how much hate mail you <laughs> yeah. get, right? Yeah,
3: I'd love that. <laughs> and there's, I, the, the only time I've had that was the one comment after a film festival a woman wrote to me, like, added me on Twitter and said, that's not how abortion works, dude. <laughs> and I felt so bad. I was like, yeah. I guess you're right because my film begins with the stupid idea that midway through an abortion, it's interrupted and the fetus is still viable and can be raised as a human like that. That is not really. And that's another anti-choice tactic to make you think that that could even happen. Unfortunately, I did work with midwives who helped explain how that could happen. <laughs> which, <laughs> which we wouldn't terrible. understand over here. Which yeah. you wouldn't, uh, yeah, and I'd written dialogue, in, I'd written this one-and-a-half-page scene in the abortion clinic where they explain what's happening in very strict detail, and it is a late-term abortion, which in 1995 in Australia was legal, and, you know, all this data I got and wrote out this scene, going, well, that explains it. But then when I cut it together i was like that is the most boring scene to begin a movie <laughs> so i just cut it down and put music over it and made it the title secrets where <laughs> but you know technically to that woman i guess i can say it is a possibility unfortunately that this could happen and there's at the end of the film i have a a bunch of further reading listed on, on my um credit yes secret, i noticed that role. yeah yeah, and further watching as well, like other movies that deal with this theme. Because I, I, as an academic type dude, I love that. Like you get inspired by watching something, you want to see more of it, then this is there's a list. And one of the websites that's listed under further reading is abortionsurvivors.com. And that is exactly what you think it is. It is people who <laughs> have survived abortions. Now, half of it, I should say, is very much anti-choice propaganda, like pro-life stuff, Right. and they've co-opted it, and inc- coincidentally everyone on that website is now a Christian that believes and loves God, and that's kind of sus, do you know what I mean? Right, yeah. But there are examples, there's a famous woman who's also a big Christian anti-abortion advocate, her name's Gianna Jensen, and she survived her own abortion, and she now has cerebral palsy because of it. And wow. there are people that have survived different types of abortion and have different things wrong with them, so Technically what my movie is isn't even fictional. It could have happened.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And that whole reveal of Cletus by the way. I was like yeah. <laughs> is there is there just I got to ask this. Is there a reason why you chose not to do the full reveal the whole time?
3: In mm-hmm. Just yeah. that? Yeah. I love the end of Friday the 13th, the first one. Ah, uh, yeah. Jason, okay, makes you know, sense. Yeah. Yeah, he leaps up for that one moment, that one shocking moment at the end. And right. It's fantastic. And I just, I've always loved that as a reveal of the bad guy, the monster, in that you just get that one moment. And so that, yeah, that's why I did it as opposed to having the whole way. And it was very expensive and stupid. I can imagine, yeah. One second of screen time, but have an entire latex mask and a. Yeah, a special effects team build that. Like just with that wire effects moment. or
1: servos or whatever in the eyes and stuff?
3: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was the visual effect element for that bit.
1: That's amazing. On
3: top of a, a silicon mask. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a very expensive, you know, one second of film time, but it does it. You know, I love that in Friday the 13th. So I'm like, okay, I want to do that thing of just seeing it for one second.
1: That I like, I, I kind of appreciate that choice. But I can't help mm. but want to see more. Like <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. it was, it was a shame. Once we'd seen it and it was working, but we'd already shot the scenes afterwards, you know. So it was kind of like, ah, oh, even though this is super cool, we have just got to suck it up, <laughs> right, <laughs> and have it in here for this one moment. Yeah.
1: I mean, as a actor, producer, director, writer, and musician, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what kind of advice can you give to those who are trying to make it? in the creative hemisphere
3: oh good good Uh, man two things learn your craft shoot as much as you can reverse engineer i studied acting in theater and then anthropology and comedy i had no idea how to make films but i love films and if you love something you know you want to follow it and you want to emulate it just keep shooting just keep cutting it just even when you know there's no reason, but then find reasons. Find little short film festivals. Find anything you can to make yourself keep doing it. And find it. This is weird. Find a tribe. Find people who are also into it. And you don't, don't necessarily be smart about it. Don't rely on them. Still be the person who instigates it. Because if you want to go forward, you have to instigate. You have to go hard. You can't wait for someone else to make your dreams come true. You know, you've got to go hard, but find people who want to share that journey, who kind of have the same dreams. And it, and for me, as a comedian, that meant finding people who had the same sense of humor and then making stuff with them. But as a filmmaker, it means finding people, working on their stuff for free, building up enough favor so that one day you can say, all I need you to do is come and hold the boom. I promise it'll be worth your while. And, you know... It's, they'll do it for you because you were friendly and you weren't insane and you weren't dissatisfied when you're on their set so you've got to be pleasant and keep working hard towards it the other big thing for people in my case, contact me when you are going to make a feature film because the world has changed and the idea that existed in the 90s and the early 2000s that if you make a good film the gods of Hollywood will give you a box of money and make you into Kevin Smith doesn't <laughs> exist that is not a real thing. Films, uh, the, the main principal audience for indie films are other filmmakers. So there's this lie that's created by publicists around the time of festivals where it's like, man, this film was so good. This company bought it and the press release came out at three in the morning. All of that is coordinated to make you think you should see this movie currently in cinema. It's not real the idea that you could just make a great movie and everyone's going to go, that is a great movie. You deserve to be the best. Even Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch were massively marketed by huge companies. And and Paranormal, was they were terrified of it and didn't know what to do with it and had to do a really dumb vote for this to come to your college website because they didn't know how to do it. uh, Blair Witch was done with a TV special explaining why this is real. The like that is marketed. That is a co- you know that is money millions of dollars spent by a studio. They made it famous, not the filmmaker. Do you know what I mean? Right. The filmmakers got screwed. That no one cares about them. <laughs> you as a filmmaker will never make something so brilliant that the whole world has to see it. You need to be aware of things that are marketable. And so, just think about is the genre. It, will this film fit in that genre? Is it what people are wanting to see? Do I have the talent, the actors on screen, that can be marketed to the mass masses, you know? And it sounds very cynical, but it's 100% what's needed because there's too many movies in the world now. And, yeah, if you want, I am totally fine. Anyone wants to get onto me at Twitter and say, hey, because I've made notes over the last few years and I've got many documents full of notes about the market. So if you want, please contact me. I just don't want people to go through the same, you know, I'm lucky. Yeah, (laughs) I've come out the other side quite well that people know my film and it's going to be on Netflix and it exists in the world. But I've met so many cool, awesome filmmakers who made really good films that just will never be seen. And so you don't want to be one of those people.
1: Right. I may actually hit you up for that. Absolutely. (laughs) We make up our own movies on the podcast, like as we like (laughs) on the top of our head. And some of these, I really (laughs) feel like, you know, a lot of them are garbage, but Mm -hmm, some mm -hmm. of these I sit there and I go,
3: man, this could be a really good idea. (laughs) Well, there you go. That's all you, you know, that's the beginning. Now the hard work. Right. (laughs) You know, not just making it, but making it so that people will see it by putting in those casting decisions or having the correct producer help you out with it. You know, even hiring, um, Eli roth as an e p for twenty grand is a very smart thing to do because then you can say eli roth e p on your film and that will make people want to see it so you've got to think of ways to make people see your film
1: that's a that's really good advice thank you, thank you man, man. <laughs> like yeah sure. like he got of me course. all worked up now like
3: <laughs> well I'm on twitter at um what am i craig An- i don't know Fibers summit you search my name craig anson or red christmas i'm sure you'll find me and then you can just send a message saying hey nut job <laughs> i heard you on a podcast and i want some notes can you send me your notes and i will send them to you
1: craig man that's super awesome of you man like thank you so of much course. for coming on it's really honestly been a pleasure like even aside from the podcast <laughs> and everything like it's oh, just been you. fun. Like, I'm hanging out with one of my friends, so...
3: Oh, good. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, man. That's I really so enjoyed
1: the film, and I think a lot of our listeners are really going to enjoy it. So, thank you so much for coming on, man. I hope that uh, we see some more horror from you
3: in the future, hopefully. Yes. Maybe? Oh, yeah. I am developing three different ideas at the moment.
1: Yes! Okay. I feel yes. like you belong here, <laughs> Craig. I just want to let you know. Thank you. <laughs> 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 thank you <laughs> thanks so much man we will uh we'll try to touch base with you sometime in the future hopefully for another movie
3: oh thank you so much it's been awesome thanks alex cheers
1: all right guys that was our interview with craig anderson thank you so much for coming on the show we really greatly appreciate the honor of having you on Really enjoyed Red Christmas, and we'll be talking about that this Thursday for you guys, so you're probably going to want to stick around for that. And uh, Brittany's got some thoughts on that. We all got some pretty funny <laughs> things to talk about that movie, so you're definitely going to want to check it out. Yes. So this is your warning. We're watching Rare Exports and Red Christmas, so you're going to want to watch those before Thursday if you don't want anything spoiled. If not, oh well thank you guys so much for coming by this week uh, again we want to thank Craig Anderson we want to thank you guys for stopping by every week sharing like you do to everyone to let everyone know that what we do here because we really just love doing it and we love having you guys with us to do this so thank you uh, if you are on iTunes podcast addict or whatever and you've been giving us those ratings you fucking rock that's all I'm gonna say <laughs> so
2: we like your butts
1: yeah a lot like a whole a lot, lot. Like I picture it when I go to sleep. Yep, Uh, yeah, it's pretty (laughs) great. But yeah, thank you guys so much for stopping by. We'll see you this Thursday for a brand new episode of Beyond the Void
2: or podcast. (laughs) Stay weird, monsters. (laughs) on the void horror podcast tune in this thursday for part two of christmas exports